you're tuned into the Chug LLP's podcast. We are a full-service legal, immigration, and tax firm with a global outlook. We partner with businesses to deliver innovative, customized solutions to their most pressing challenges. Join us as we tackle some pertinent issues. Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Ariana Gonzalez. I'm the Client Services Manager here at Chug Attorneys and CPAs, and please join me in welcoming partner and attorney Ashima Chuck from our Houston, Texas office. Hi there, Ashima, and welcome. Hi, Ariana. Thank you for having me here. Thank you so much for being here. So for today's topic, we're going to be talking all about the legal implications of AI. Just a quick disclaimer, this conversation is for informational purposes only. It does not create an attorney-client relationship. So let's get started, Ashima. What is AI? So, you know, the name itself tells what is AI. It's artificial intelligence. Artificial means it's not real. Intelligence means it's intelligent. So, you know, when we think of AI, we really think of uh, chat GPT. But AI is not just ChatGPT. AI is everywhere. It has become popular because of ChatGPT, which had 100 million users in first two months of launching, which was amazing. So, you know, you have Google search, you have Alexa, you have Siri, you have, you know, the traffic lights, which automatically change depending on the traffic flow. All this is AI. But I think when people think of AI, and that's probably what we're going to focus on today, and I think that's probably what you're thinking too, AI as you know the technology which is generative artificial intelligence which is really based on huge algorithms of data and they have this you know it's based on mathematical matrix on how the data is read and how the algorithms decides what the output should be i think that is what you're referring to as ai so that's probably what we're going to focus on which is gpt i don't know if i'm making sense Yes, that's very insightful. I'm glad you talked about all of the different possibilities of AI and and the range of AI that is out there. So now that we're talking about what AI is, can anyone use AI? Sure, anybody can use AI. You know, AI is everywhere. Whether you know it or not, you're using AI. Though in terms of generative AI like ChatGPT, yes, you're you know you're welcome to use it. It will have uh, restrictions like okay, whatever they use can be used for uh, training purposes. Because GPT, what really is, is like, you know, it actually stands for generative, I think, generative pre-trained transformer. So basically, it uses a training module, right? So any input you have, it'll, it'll have a disclaimer there that they can use that input for their own training. So you can use it, whether it's advisable to use it or not, it's a different question, but sure, you can use it. Okay, so anybody can use AI. What about the legal implications? Are there any legal implications of using AI that we need to think about? Sure, you know, like I mentioned to you earlier, anybody can use it, right? And it's based on a matrix of huge data. To give you an idea, the chat GPT used 300 billion words when it was creating it, right? And so is you know, other forms, you know, we have chat GPT's open AI, we have Google's, we have other AIs there. So they're really based on data. Okay, the question is, where does the data come from? So like, you know, like I said about the disclaimer earlier, they have a disclaimer that any data you put in there can be used for their training purposes. So they use the data as a training module for the machine. So think yourself as a machine. So you're using, you know, bunch of data. So it's like you're giving an exam and you're using cramming up. 
but you used your common sense, right, when you give the exam. But in this case, they have trained the machines to use the data and find the common similarities and based on that, give the output. That's how it generates the data or generates the output. So the question comes, what data it is using? So there was a recent case, I think it happened last month in April, where Samsung employees wanted to validate a code. So they put the code on ChatGPT to verify, not realizing that it was their trade secret, but now ChatGPT can use it for their trading purposes. So it becomes comes in public domain. So they kind of breach their own trade secret. So the ramifications of putting your confidential information on AI platform are huge. So yeah, of course, the, the legal implications and how it's, you know, taking the data that we're putting inside of it as well. So we're talking about how we can use AI across many different industries, specifically now that we're in the legal industry right now and talking about this topic. Can we talk about how AI can be used to improve access to legal aid services and pro bono work? Do you think that's a possibility? You know, the world is a possibility. So when you think of AI, you know, you can definitely use it, but you have to use it with caution. AI is a tool. So, you know, it's not with any tool. You have to make sure that you use a tool with caution. So you, you have to know how to use it and you have to use it for the purpose it is meant to be. So if you're using AI for guidance in terms of, okay, giving you a uh, you know, you're correcting the grammatical or errors or something like that, then it's one thing. But when you're using something for legal implications or legal uh, stuff, which can be can have huge consequences, you need to think twice whether it's going to serve your purpose or not. So the whole legal, you know, if you go to a lawyer, you're going for precise answers based on your individual cases, right? There's no generalist answer. So... If you're looking for something generalist, you won't come to the lawyer. So if you're going to AI for your legal answers, that, that may not be the right way. But if you're going to AI, okay, you know, I'm thinking of this. What are my options and whom should I consult? Then that's one thing. So it has to have a human oversight. That's a great perspective, how you can use it for part of what you need, but obviously not the entire thing. And, and it does, it can point you in the right direction, for example, show you what your options are, but obviously at the end of the day, it doesn't match, you know, what a, what a lawyer would help you with case by case basis. So let's talk about, about common sense and how we have that, but AI is a little questionable there. So how can AI be used to improve accuracy and fairness of decisions made by immigration judges? Do you have an opinion on that? Well, I think I'll dissect your question into multiple parts. So I think your question, first half of the question is, how can we improve accuracy and fairness? And the second part is immigration judges. I think if the first part is done right, the second part automatically gets answered. So when you talk about accuracy and fairness, like I told you earlier, AI is nothing but a system based on the data. It reads the data and it's, it has algorithms on, based on what it decides, what the output should be. Okay, that's how it generates it. So when you talk about accuracy and fairness, you can only be as accurate and fair as your data. So your data has to be fair to begin with. If you have biases in your data, then you know uh, your results are not going to be correct. So you have to have accurate data. Half the time, the data are not updated. So you know you're if you're sitting on the old data and the law is ever evolving, even with the AI so many changes there's so many new laws are coming and there's so many different changes going on if you don't keep up it's going to have messed up and 
what data and what algorithms you use are going to define your output. So in terms of immigration judges, and I know a lot of judges now are relying on AI, but there are plenty of regulations now being put to place which, where it doesn't happen too much. So it seems like people are trying to figure out how much AI can help them and, and how much it can't. So can we talk about um, the potential consequences of relying solely on AI for legal decision making? Sure. It's like maybe I can give you some examples of what can happen. So when you said relying on AI for solely on decision making, so say you want a lease. So I, I tried to see for this presentation to what chat GPT could do. So I thought, okay, let me try it out. So I just asked for a lease and the lease which it generated was so bare bone that I was only looking for more lawsuits if I had, or if anybody uses that. Half the provisions were missing, half the provisions were wrong. So literally, you know, even if I have, you know, like I said, you know, AI has been pre-existing. We use Westlaw, we use Lexis. Uh, which are like legal platforms for uh, templates you know we use them all the time you know we, you can use a template but the template has to be some basis right you know we we use westlaw where it summarizes the cases and other information which is a great tool but if you even for the lease right say for instance i just gave you an example of a lease so you have to know whom you're representing you have to know the needs of each party if you just generally say i need a lease for solar project or wind energy or putting a solar plant over there it doesn't work out because you have to know what you're going to be doing how the whether it's going to be royalty based whether it's going to be flat rate whether they're going to have shut-in payment there are so many multitude of clauses was what are the ramifications when you terminate what are the provisions where you get out of the lease first of all whom are you representing whether you're representing landlord whether you're representing tenant there are just so many variables which you have to take into account so i don't think at least with the way it is now, it hasn't reached that point. But like I mentioned to you earlier, you know, AI is based on data. How good the data is, it depends on that. I'm not sure 20 years from today if there is a change, but as it stands now, I won't rely on it. So in, in this case, okay, fine, you generated a basic barebone template, but on that barebone template, you would go back, dissect it completely, and redo the whole thing. So whether you want to do that, and make sure that you have all the provisions in place or do it right from get-go is your choice. So it sounds like there's quite a few possibilities with AI that we have to definitely look out for. And it definitely depends on how much information we put in as well. You know, so if you just ask for a basic lease, yes, it's going to give us a, a basic lease. And I think if we put in, you know, more details, like this is what I want in the lease, then it can actually give you what you want. But at the end of the day, if you don't know what to properly tell it and, and ask it, then it's not going to give you what you're looking for. So I appreciate you sharing your insight on that. Can we talk about, I know we were talking a little bit about immigration cases earlier. So let's talk a little bit about asylum seekers. And in your opinion, how can AI be used to assist in the analysis of complex immigration cases, for example, such as people who are asylum seekers? Do you think there's a use for AI in that? I mean, I'm not sure what AI can do. Maybe it can do some bare bone, generate the cover letters and stuff like that. But I mean, we might think AI is a real person, but AI doesn't have common sense. AI doesn't have any reasoning. It's, AI is just purely based on the data. I can give you an example, which I did this case many years ago, which involved an immigration waiver. And then, you know, when, during the hearing, I realized the client kept coming to me with one ear 
And I kept asking her, why are you just coming and bending to the right side? And I'm on the other side. Why are you turning around? And she said, I can't hear from one side. And, you know, the judge had not granted that. But, you know, I had made, you know, I filed a motion for rehearing and motion for re-review of the case in that particular case. And then I had her go and test her and get me a letter from the ENT specialist. And fair enough, she was deaf and the appellate court denied and she got the waiver. And she's been happily over here forever since, you know, and doing very well. So the question comes, can AI analyze all those stuff? So how would AI analyze everything? AI doesn't have common sense approach, right? And when you tell AI to do something, it doesn't, first of all, doesn't even update the laws regularly. So how do you expect it to give you right answers? You know, again, to check on chat GPT, I had put some rules, which is for Texas discovery as to what would be applicable. And it just says based on your needs, but it does, it didn't tell me anything. So for knowing what is my need, I need to go to somebody. So it sounds like there's still quite a bit of progress to be made. <laughs> there is. So then if we are using AI, for example, for immigration applications, are there any potential limitations of this? I know we were just talking about how it might not have all of the capabilities. So what do we need to look out for if we are, you know, trying to use AI for for immigration applications, for example? I think the more prevalent it is getting people and the judges and the courts are going to know how it is generated. Like I said, it's all generated based on the algorithms, right, and the data. So it sees what maximum people are doing. So say for asylum, the maximum people have these five points and you go and generate an application based on those five points, obviously you're going to be denied. You know, you have to have, it has to be specific and you can't just bogusly make something up. So, you know, you have to be authentic, right? You have to be a genuine to go for something like that. Just sending, you know, your thing and asking AI to make your application isn't going to work. Yes. Yeah, so if you're watching this and you're trying to, to fill out an immigration application, don't use AI. Make sure you're reviewing it with your attorney. Definitely, if you have any questions, please reach out to us. So let's talk about the legal side of things. What legal considerations should be taken into account when we use AI? Is there anything we need to keep in mind? Uh, there are a lot of things you need to keep in mind. You probably would hear me saying 100 times here that AI is based on the data, right? The data has to be original and authentic. So there are so many cases involving copyright issues because others' data was put and now AI is regenerating it. You know, there have been so many lawsuits. There have been lawsuits where text to, you know, the text to images are very, becoming very common. I think there was a lawsuit involving where the images were used, which were copyrighted. And then there was a recent lawsuit where somebody's voice was used without them knowing it. And then there's privacy issue, there are biometric issues. You know, there was a case in Illinois about face recognition. We're using face recognition software and creating and selling it to third parties with Clearview. So there are huge copyright issues and there are artists whose songs are copyrighted songs are being recreated and somebody else's voice being put to it. And then we have patent issues as well. And then we, I just discussed earlier about the Samsung case where there was a trade secret becoming open. Then there's a class action, actually, you know, there's a class action lawsuit going on in San Francisco right now on, um, you know, there's a software which uses to verify the code. So you put in there, it puts the code which are missing and it completes it. But the codes were not licensed. There was no licensing of the codes. It wasn't 
open source uh, the way it should be. They didn't say whose codes they were using. So there's a copyright and a lot of other lawsuits going on related to that. So the ramifications are huge. And now with, in New York, there was a law passed which requires that if you're using uh, New York City, actually, if you're using AI for employment purposes, for hiring or for promotions, there are a set of audit requirements you need to do and you need to disclose that you're using AI and what the metrics are for using AI. Same is act in Illinois where there's a video surveillance act which requires you that if you know you are being interviewed, you have to disclose previously you know what metrics you're using for the interview that you're using AI and you have to have a disclosure and then you, there's a reporting requirement so the ramifications are huge. Wow, that's so interesting. So it seems like these states are really jumping on putting in these laws in place to mitigate the, this whole universe of AI that's unknown. Sure, you know, I mean, the thing, some states are jumping on like Illinois and New York, and even California had that bot law before. Some states like Texas are using the existing codes for, and they sued like Google, Facebook and others for breach of the privacy and using biometrics without informing people so i think uh, the wagon is on we just have to see who gets in higher but i don't know a uh, lot of countries have actually banned use of ai as well there are, there are seven countries including western country italy which has banned use of chat gpt wow that's very interesting so it's, it's so a lot of companies are using ai so so these companies that are using ai what are the potential limitations and ethical considerations of using this do they need to worry about using ai for their company what are we talking about here <laughs> well they're thinking of potential lawsuits if you don't do it right you know uh, like i said a lot of companies are using a lot of companies have banned use of ai at least at work, a lot of banks like Wells Fargo, JP Morgan Chase, they have banned use of AI. But, you know, like I said, states are jumping on and enforcing laws related to privacy, use of biometrics, use of AI. So I think uh, you have to be very wary that you need to be compliant. You have to be, you know, it's like common sense approach, right? You won't use discriminatory practice if you're hiring somebody and you you know you can be in trouble for doing that so why do that with ai why use wrong data wrong metrics in your decision making so the transparency is a key you know if you're using ai first of all figure out whether you're using ai or not you know you're using ai without you you know you may not even know because like new york city defines ai very broadly so even if you're using some metrics in terms of you do internal scoring based on how the person's voice is, how the person is behaving. That's use of AI. So you get bound by the law. So you need to know and realize whether you're using AI or not. And if you are, if you think you are, or if you have a faintest doubt, then make sure you're transparent. Make sure your practices are not biased. Make sure that you use data which is not copyrighted. And if you use data which is copyrighted, do like uh, what companies like Shutterstock do. You know, they pay the AI's people for using data and they pay to the source. So don't just use somebody's data without license, without copyrighted notices, without recognition from who the source is. Don't misguide you to be the source when in essence you're not. So I guess being fair, being not biased, disclosing, putting AI notices, being proactive and doing bias audits, those are really the key. You must have waivers, not from the client, waiver from your employees and waiver from anyone else who could be your part that you're using AI and they sign the waiver that they're familiar that they're using AI so you don't, you know, you have protected yourself.
Those are great insights, Ashima. I really appreciate you sharing that about what companies can do, you know, to make sure that they're following these laws. And transparency is a great way to go about this. So can we talk about the potential risks of relying on AI in the context of legal research and analysis and how this can be mitigated? Sure. In terms of legal research and analysis, the data has to be right, right? So if you are doing your legal research on AI platform based on data which is old and you have some new case law which you didn't take into account then which and the old case law has already been over, overturned, then already your outcome is going to be flawed. So uh, on top of it, you know, I'm not sure AI is still in a very, very formative stage. So when you use like, you know, in case of doctors, you know, you have those, there's a reasoning for using, you know, where the medicine is completely automated, where the, you know, the machine is giving you all the output and the machine does something wrong. If it was a live doctor, the doctor, you know, you can sue the doctor for malpractice, but in case of machine, what do you do? So the reasoning is it's work for hire. So you are using the AI for work for hire. So you're responsible for his acts. So in, in our particular case, we are using AI for generating the legal research and wrong outcomes. It's again work for hire, so we're responsible if we use it. So it comes back to you. That's definitely something we need to keep in mind. So if we are using it for research and it's incorrect, there is nobody to blame but ourselves. So that's a very yeah. important thing. I appreciate you mentioning that, Ashima. So let's talk about the future of AI. How do you see AI changing the landscape of law in the next five to 10 years? Oh, I think it has already started. You know, it's it got some interesting twist happening right now. Last month, Supreme Court denied uh, one of the computer scientists application for patenting the output generated by AI, his AI system. And then also, you know, he had appealed, USPTO denied, the court denied. So he appealed to Supreme Court. Thankfully, Supreme Court said it has to be human generated, not AI generated. And then again, it was a copyright issue there that again got denied. So there's a little twist here. So we know that that was kind of work for hire. And if you technically think work for hire, anything work for hire is done, you own it, right? So, you know, it belongs to you. And in case of medicine, they are thinking with work for hire, you're responsible for his acts, same as for the legal. So what is this? We say, okay, you know, it, it has to be human generated, so which was great. But so luckily they denied it. So what will happen? You know, I think in terms of future of AI is going to be bright as long as we have the laws and regulations in place where we use it the right way, how it's meant to be using, you know, like I said, all you making sure that we have all the practices in place. A lot of people are skeptical. I highly admire physicist Stephen Hawking. In 2014, you know, he said that using AI could be a reason for human extinction. And I'm not sure if I can go to that extent, but he said, you know, we don't know what will self-create, you know, as we human, we know what we are doing, but as machines, we don't know what it's going to self-create. And that's exactly what is happening now. If you think of it, we have the data, more data gets added in, it reprograms and re-algorithmizes, and it creates something new. What new is going to be created, we don't know. So we are entering into a very, very dangerous phase and people like Elon Musk were also skeptical. And, you know, there was a recent person in Google um, who recently retired from Google and he was, he's called the godfather of AI. So he can tell that how bad AI can be for us when it posts fake photos, fake text, fake videos, and so much other stuff. So I think we have to be very, very careful on, you know, 
what we see there have been plenty of lawsuits going on by using fake text fake photos and fake videos and we are just entering that era now i appreciate you sharing that ashima those are great insights i know you're talking so much about ai and 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 your work as a lawyer have you had a case that you've worked on that has had ai do you have any examples that you can provide us with on on how ai has been used in a case you've worked on personally Sure, uh, I haven't used AI personally on a case, but I know I have received from one of the clients paralegal, and you know she referred me a snippet of uh, the language which she thought would work on a contract, and she wanted me to verify if this language would work and if I could transform that. This is what they were thinking, and this was the ideal for it. So I went ahead and revamped it to how it should be. So that's my I guess dealing with AI so far. That's great. Yeah. So it provided, you know, a pretty good base for somebody, but obviously, you know, there there's always um improvement that needs to be done and verification, you know, it, making sure the information is accurate and will be accepted. So that those are great insights. I appreciate you sharing your experience with that. Um I know we talked a little bit about companies using AI. I know we have a lot of companies, HR managers that watch our live streams. So what can companies do to protect themselves? very very important to put in place internal policies you know have internal policies in place which are transparent which tell you that we use ai uh, to employees in, in terms of employment law make sure like i said you know you have waivers you know ai is a great tool so you can like you know when samsung straight secret got evolved you know it started working on internal ai tool for itself so you know you use ai internally for your own betterment for making the workflow easier but don't just go on public platforms using AI. But yeah, have internal policies in place, have waivers in place, know to make sure that you know, you know, you have a great guidance by President Biden on a Bill of Rights on how we should have anti-discriminatory practices and how to use it safely. I think good to incorporate that. And you don't have to wait for the new laws. You know, we can learn from other state laws like Illinois and um, New York City and other places and just incorporate those in our internal policies already before we get sued. Those are great insights, Ashima. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for your time, all of your insights on this topic. I really appreciate you sharing it all with us. This does bring us to the end of our conversations. If you have any questions or suggestions, please feel free to email us at info at chook.com. Until next time, stay safe and take care. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our work, please visit our websites at www.chook.com for legal and immigration and www.chook.net for tax. Be sure to subscribe to get regular business insights from the Chook LLP team.